Good morning, brothers and sisters. Good morning, everybody at home. When John was sharing just earlier before, something reminded me, remember when the fire alarm went off in here? We had John Menzies speaking, and the fire alarm went off, and everybody had to evacuate the building. And so we all stood outside, and we did worship outside, just with a guitar. And, so, and, and John is right. It's, it's, it's great to be able to sit down and to hear each other sing praises to our Lord. So maybe one week... We go open that big door, we stand outside, and we just sing our hearts out. Still keeping you know, a meter and a half apart. Maybe we're masks, but as loud as you can, we sing. So I, I don't know. That's just, just a suggestion. If you're keen on that, let us know. Um, but yeah, there, there has been, though, and I, 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 do, I do miss, I do miss just, just yeah, as restricting as it can feel at times, I do miss just bellowing out a good worship song to the Lord. It's, uh, it, it's something empowering it's something uplifting and encouraging to do something like that which i think is a great blessing so we're in now the 10th day of 2021 we are still technically in a new year and there's been this word that's been popping around in my head end of last year beginning of this year this word that's been popping into my head and it's the word revival as the word revive or reviving. And depending on your theological stance regarding this word can sort of be defined in, in differing ways. I had a look in the dictionary and apparently, oh, apparently the, the word revival can mean the process of becoming more active or popular again. That's one definition. Another definition says a process in which something starts to grow, develop, or become successful again. Each of these, def pardon me, each of these definitions look at popularizing something that has lost its interest or is only necessary till something better comes along. Personally, I like the word revive and the definition that is connected with that word as revive means to come or bring back to life, health or existence again. It's about bringing something. See, it's not about repackaging something to gain interest. It's not about reviving or revitalizing something to make it look good or to make it more acceptable or palatable for an individual. It's actually talking about reviving that which is near death. It's about bringing back to life something that has almost passed away. That is the word that the Lord has burdened my heart with. And as we, as we look at this, what I like to call a, a road to revival, means that we can look at certain people in the Bible who experienced or cried out for such a reviving to occur. And so while last week's message was a, a, a New Year's encouragement, today's message I entitled A New Year's Exhortation. A New Year's exhortation, that word exhortation, I like this definition, it says a speech or written passage intended to inspire or encourage. And prayerfully in this exhortation, you will be encouraged. You will be inspired to seek God above all else. So if you'd like to bow your heads in prayer, 
Let's seek our Lord now to give us his spirit, his desire, his heart, as we look into his word this morning. Father, we thank you that you have no rival, that you have no equal, that now and forever you reign. You are our sovereign God who has brought us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. You are our amazing Savior who has taken us from sin and made us new creations in your Son, Jesus Christ. And now as your child, we cry out to you, Abba, Father, hear our cry. Speak to our hearts. Minister to our spirits. Burden our souls to be more concerned with the things of eternity rather than the things of this world. Speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, now I've only got maybe six or seven slides today. And the reason being is that I want you to make use of your Bibles. I want you to actually, whether it's on your phone, whether you have it on paper, I want you to make use of your Bibles because we're going to read a few passages of Scripture. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3. Now this is an excerpt I took from a commentary regarding this book. It says this. This is what the introduction says. Have you ever wanted to ask God, if you're really in control, why does evil so often win? If so, you'll identify with Habakkuk, who entered into a great debate with God. Habakkuk, whose name means wrestler, grappled with God about questions as relevant today as ever. This is what Habakkuk's about. Habakkuk's about a man, a prophet of God, who debates with God. Who debates with God about things that are going on in the world, well, in his known world, and he had to raise these questions. He had to ask God these questions. And essentially, we are people that are full of questions ourselves. But in Habakkuk chapter 3, which is a chapter we'll be looking at today, actually one verse in that chapter, this is the conclusion that God brings them to. It's the, the step in his road to revival. And I'm praying that we can learn from Habakkuk's life, from this lesson, and how he leads to revival, how we ourselves in turn can be revived out of our state of spiritual apathy, our state of spiritual slumber. I think it's 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says to the church, Awake unto righteousness, for there are some that have not yet heard the gospel. Awake, maybe we need to be woken up. And so in chapter 3, we see this prophet's prayer. It's a revelation that comes from the heart that has been humbled because a questioning mind had been answered, a frustrated spirit had been eased, and an argumentative attitude had been quelled. Thus we read in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2. I'm reading from the New King James. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. There are three things I want to focus on this morning regarding this reviving that we seek in our own lives. But I want to clarify something first. Habakkuk looked around and saw Judah in a terrible state. Hence the reason why he asked such questions. Why is evil winning? Why do, the, why do the evil succeed and the righteous 
don't. Why is all this taking place? We need to clarify something. Israel or Judah at this time are there because of their own choice. They are in sin and suffering the consequences for that sin. They had gotten themselves into a state of oppression and Habakkuk had gotten himself into a state of need, sorry, of a state in need of reviving too. Something we'll look at a little bit later. But the blessing that we can take away from this is that irrespective of what is going on, the themes of this verse are just as applicable to you and I today for our reviving too. For example, if you look at verse 2, it says this, O Lord, I heard your voice. Here's the first point, that our reviving is grounded in God's words. Our reviving is grounded in God's word. I am told here by Habakkuk, that he heard the voice of God. And while we might not see much to this, it's important we look at a little bit of background that sheds this, a bit of light on this. It sheds light on this journey that Habakkuk's taking. See, we can be questioning God continually about things we don't understand about things we don't completely comprehend. And sometimes, even when we look into the Scriptures, find it unfruitful as we read it because the Scriptures just become words because our minds are so consumed with other questions, with other thoughts, with other doubts, with other concerns. And so looking into the Word can sometimes seem to be unfruitful. And this is where Habakkuk is. And this is where what we can begin to see from Habakkuk's example, and that is by being honest with what we see, but also being open to the answers that God gives. You see, one of the big things that Habakkuk struggled with at the start is what I like to call the silence of God. It is the silence of God. If there's a, a wonderful YouTube channel by this Christian guy called uh, Logos Made Fresh. Made Fresh. Made Flesh. Sorry, that was, that was terrible. That was my accent. Logos made flesh. And he does this breakdown called the silence of God. And it's a really interesting thing about how we as people look at things and when we fail to hear God's voice. And this is what Habakkuk wrestled with. He failed to hear God's voice. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Habakkuk chapter 1, and I'm going to read to you verses 2 to 4. Well, follow along with me as I read verses 2 to 4. We read this. These are Habakkuk's questions. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore, the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, perverse judgment proceeds. Those are some full-on questions. Now, while our context may be different, we pose similar themed questions with a similar heart because we don't see the full picture. We see everything going on. We may ask things like, why do those in power seem to be exempt from the same suffering or restrictions that we experience as normal people? Why are those that make the laws seem to get away with breaking the very same laws that they set up? Or one of the big questions that even a lot of non-Christians ask, how can all this really be worked together for good to those that love you? All such questions stem from, like Habakkuk, the inability to see the bigger picture. 
the, va- the failure to trust what God is doing and forgetting this really important point that yours and my ultimate destination is eternity in Christ's presence, not a comfortable life in the here and now. But the graciousness of God, graciousness of God is such as this. God is not afraid of your questions. He far exceeds your questions or your concerns. He's not afraid of those. I have a question to ask of God. He, he's not shying away. It's not like he's scared. He is more than capable to answer those. It's a matter of whether I am willing to listen to his answer. God is far bigger than humanity's pitiful complaints, than my pitiful complaints. But in his grace, he hears Habakkuk's questions, and under while no obligation to do so, he in his sovereignty chose to answer them. And so we read, okay, he, we read in verses 5 to 11 God's answer. I'm just going to read to you in verse 5. It's a really great verse. It says, Look among the nations and watch. This is the Lord speaking. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days which you would not believe, though it were told you. You see, the apparent silence of God, the apparent work, the fact that he was actually moving, was a necessary silence for Habakkuk because Habakkuk wouldn't believe what God was going to be doing. That's the reason why he was silent, because it was beyond Habakkuk's mind to comprehend. Sometimes the silence of God for our lives is because we probably couldn't grasp it because he is far greater, as high as the the, the heavens are from the earth, so are God's ways higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And sometimes the silence of God It's not because God can't answer. He chooses not to because I may not be prepared to receive the answer he's going to give. And I think that was really quite fascinating. So what God basically says in verses 5 to 11 is that he's going to raise up one of the major world powers. The way Babylon. He was going to use Babylon to deliver Israel. And he said, that's why. I'm going to do this using this nation to accomplish my work to deliver my people. Habakkuk probably would have heard that at the start and thought, okay, yeah, I I don't see that happening. But once again, it shows how God moves. And what's amazing is this, is that while he hears that answer, Habakkuk, reflecting my heart, finds something else to complain about. That's what we do, don't we? We find things to complain about. It's like when you lose an argument and the the thing that you pick out on someone, well, you look funny. That's basically what Habakkuk's doing here. And he, once again, he presents other questions. So while one answer is given, Habakkuk gives his thoughts toward this, complaining about God's disconnect with his people. And it's in verses 12 and 13. And using a means that will result in an ungodly nation worshipping their own might. And that's in verses 12 through to 17. In verses 15 and 16 of Habakkuk chapter 1, we read this. This is talking about Babylon. He says, they, they take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and burn incense to their dragnet because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. In a nutshell, it's basically saying the means by which Babylon deliver this or or, or get rid of the oppression that they're experiencing, they're going to rely on their own selves and say, look at what we were able to do. So that's what he's basically picking at. 
But the Lord, once again, speaks his word from his divine perspective, with his perspective, with his divine authority, revealing that he is sovereign, that justice will prevail, and woe will come upon those who are against the Lord and his people. And that no one and that no thing can say anything to question the holiness, justice, and character of God. In chapter 2, verse 20, the Lord says this, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth Keep silence before him. Now, the primary place for us to experience this reviving of God means this. We have to have a clear understanding that the Lord is moving whether we see it or not. That we don't let the current circumstances direct our vision away from a powerful, active, understanding, involved God in each of our lives, in, each, in, in this nation, in our communities, in our church family, in our individual lives. Don't allow, you, don't allow what you see to take your eyes and your mind and your heart away from biblical truths that speak for themselves. Don't, don't let what you want to happen diminish the sheer greatness of God. We read this at the beginning of last year in Psalm 91. In Psalm 91, turn there. And we've read, we've read this over and, and over again. But I'm just going to read to you several verses from Psalm 91, verses 9 to 12. We read this. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make, sorry, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Don't let what's going on around there, what you see or don't see, take your minds away from that truth. You don't let it, don't let it, take, let it detract from, say, Isaiah 40, verses 28 to 31. If you've got your Bibles, turn there. And this beautiful reality, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the the creator of the ends of the earth, he will not grow weary, tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, increases power to the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not grow weary, they will walk and not faint." Don't let what's going on, what you see or don't see, take you away from the truth of Deuteronomy 33, 27. In the words of Moses, the eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. We need to get back to the voice of God. We need to get back to the word of God. We need to view things from what he has to say and see it in that context. We, we cannot allow this apparent silence of God that we might encounter in life to, to limit our vision of a limitless God who in turn has given us his voice, who has given us his heart, who has given us his mind, his very will within the pages of Scripture. 
His voice, that, according to Romans 6.17, is the sword of the Spirit that can cut down the lies of the devil. That according to Hebrews 4.12, that is living and active and can discern the thoughts and intents of, a, of the heart. That according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, is the milk of the word that we might grow thereby, or as the grow of our faith, according to Romans 10.17. How the word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, according to Psalm 119, 105. That his, his voice is the perfect law that converts the soul. That it's his testimony that makes the wise, sorry, makes the simple wise, according to Psalm 19:7. That his voice is the Lord's statutes that rejoice our hearts. That they are pure commandments that enlighten our eyes, according to Psalm 19:8. That his word is the reverence of the Lord that endures forever. In Psalm 19.9, it is the honest, true word of the Lord that brought Habakkuk to this point of need. And that need could only be met in God. It is the same word that is to do likewise for you and I. That is to do likewise. That is provided for us. Provided. We are willing to accept what God reveals to us. The reviving starts with God's word, the mirror of God's word that shows us what we are really like. You see, for those of you at home, you may not know, but I know the people here see this. I'm glistening right now, and it is not the Shekinah glory. I'm, I'm sweating really bad because of these lights, okay? And it feels really uncomfortable. But what, what I find interesting is this, okay? If I, if I look into a mirror and see how sweaty I am, what does the mirror do? It identifies that and enables me to do something about it. Then I'll get some tissues and wipe myself down and clean myself up a little bit. That's what the Word of God does. No, I, I won't use those tissues. If you use thin tissues, then I'll just get covered in, in tissue. That's what the Word of God is. The voice of God that goes forth reveals our need for him, but also in that word provides how that need is met. That is why reviving, true revival, can only start from God's word himself, from God himself. And when we hear that word, then we look at how our reviving grows in our humility. The verse carries on. It says, O Lord, I heard your voice and was afraid. One of the biggest factors in being humbled is when you're proven wrong about something. In a discussion or in an argument and you have people voicing their opinions and everybody has their own little bit and they, they present their arguments and their evidence is for it. Whether it might be you know, the Springboks versus the All Blacks, who's the better team? Whether it be LeBron versus Jordan, who is the greatest player of all time? I already know that answer. Okay, whether it be Pepsi versus Coke, whether it be plastic versus glass, whatever, you know, there's a whole bunch of, bunch of things. And when people present it and you find out that you're wrong, that is humbling. Those of you who are married and you have discussions with your wives, that is humbling on both sides. That is humbling. And there's, there's nothing wrong with being humbled. It's a matter of how you respond to that humbling. Whether you take it on board to learn and to grow from, or whether you stand your ground and think, nah, I'm not going to worry about that. 
I'm going to hold on to even if I am wrong. The fact that when Habakkuk heard the voice of God, he was courageous enough, he was brave enough to admit that he was in the wrong. He was humbled by God's word and responded accordingly. In comparison to someone so great, so good, so gracious, so holy, he realized he was wrong and submitted to that. Like Isaiah, who, when in the temple of the Lord and his glory filled the temple, was humbled. And he, what did he say? He said, woe is me, in Isaiah 6, woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Or, or Peter in Luke, when the Lord Jesus taught from his fishing boat, and he says, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Or even Paul, who proclaimed his own wretchedness, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death, when it was placed in contrast to the incomparable beauty and holiness of Jesus Christ. In each of those cases, they were humbled in connection to the greatness of God. Isaiah was humbled when he saw the holiness of God. Peter was humbled when he saw the goodness of Jesus Christ. Paul saw how wretched we was in connection to the beauty of Christ. The greatest way we are humbled from the scriptures is by seeing ourselves in connection to him, in relation to him, and in how much we need him. The whole purpose of the Ten Commandments was not a checklist of how we are accepted by God. Rather, it was a checklist for us to see how much we need God. It reveals us on how far we fall short of what he requires for our, for, for, for our acceptance by him. That's what he requires. It is why in, uh, what's it, when you read in Romans chapter 3 verse 10, when it says there are none righteous, no, not one. You look at that word righteous in, in the Greek, you look at Strong's Concordance, essentially it means in, in a roundabout way, there's no one that has a leg to stand on. No one has a leg to stand on in relation to the greatness of God. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. When you don't have a leg to stand on, you've basically got a straw, a straw argument. It doesn't hold up. And so no one can come before God and say, I'm okay. No one can come before God and say, well, you are unfair. No one can, no one can accuse God of being unjust. No one has a leg to stand on. And we... We as people are in need to be humbled because we are naturally proud. We are naturally self-reliant due to our own self-centeredness. It explains why when you look at some of the greatest things Jesus done, when Jesus fed the 5,000 in, in John chapter 6, when, when Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the abundance of people who were there who heard, who heard him teach and teach with authority, who saw him perform the miraculous by feeding so many people. It's fascinating how many people didn't react, either positively or negatively. Of the 5,000, we read of how they followed and how they all left. And the only people left were his, were his, his disciples. There were so many people that were just apathetic. So many people that didn't really care. And you have the small percentage of people that were either all on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ or those like the Pharisees that were completely against him. That's the reality of it. The humility that has come 
by us being in his presence is done so for our benefit. That humility then grows when we realize the privilege that has been granted to us and that you and I have been given spiritual sight to see the greatness of Jesus Christ, to see the revelation of who he is, of him who saved us from our sin. That is humbling. That is humbling to think that God himself died so that I could be made new. That God himself clothed himself in human flesh. Think about that for a second. This type of thing humbles us. When you look at what people are willing to do for, for others because of their love for them, or even not because of their love for them, just because of their concern for them. We are humbled by such goodness. We are humbled by such generosity. People give Christmas gifts, and all the gifts, thank you so much for all the gifts that people have given me, and I'm humbled by such things. But the gift that God has given me in his son, that, that, should, that should bring me to my knees. He who is so undeserving of such love, undeserving of such compassion, undeserving of such mercy, and yet he gives it to me in his son, Jesus Christ. That is amazing. That is humbling. And that's where revival starts, because revival starts not only with God's voice, but how we, when we hear God's voice, respond to it. Lord, I need you. And this is what Habakkuk does because our reviving starts and it has to start with God, with the relationship that we have been blessed in Jesus Christ. We read this. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. Revive your work. Now there's something that we often forget as Christians. That we, as we have been saved, from our sin by trusting in Jesus, so too does our revival come from trusting in Jesus too. For the act of revival, the act of being revived, cannot come from yourself. Let's say right here and now, I have a heart attack, and I fall dead. Well, I'm not dead, I'm just, I'm out on the ground, okay? I can't revive myself. I'm lacking the ability to be revived. I need somebody like Jono to take off his mask and perform CPR and mouth-to-mouth. Thanks, Jono. I know he's looking forward to that day. <laughs> okay? But you, you know, do, do you understand that? Reviving cannot come from yourself. It has to come from someone outside of us. We are, we are brought to life spiritually by Jesus. Nothing we could do could change our sinful state before the Lord. You look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now, we've heard the analogy in the past how, you know, when, as we evangelize, how we're, we're in the sea and we reach out for someone to pull us out of the water. Well, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we're face down in the water floating. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And we're floating there face down. We need somebody to save us. And then as Christians, for whatever reasons, for the num- like Habakkuk, the questions that we pose, why did my mum get sick? I, I don't understand that, Lord. That can sometimes draw us away from him. Why did I lose my job? Why, why you know, my, my cousin passed away? Uh, uh, just recently, my, my, my dad's sister, my auntie, she passed away on, on the 1st of January. Uh, my dad, who passed away at the beginning of uh, last year. All these people, and you can ask questions like, well, why? 
Why do such things take place? And all of those questions, we look around, why the pandemic? Why all the restrictions? Why aren't there more restrictions? Why are there too many restrictions? All of those sorts of things that go around and all of those things that can weigh on us can actually just be a burden. To be a burden that can actually weigh on us so much that we find our vision of the greatness of Jesus Christ impaired. That we don't see his beauty, we don't see his greatness, we don't see his goodness. And then as Christians, we find ourselves wondering, what am I doing? And this is why this word revival, this is why this word revive has been stuck in my mind. It's been stuck in my mind because even myself, there should be a revival of my spirit, of my soul. But I know that I can't do that of myself. I need to, like Habakkuk, ask, Lord, revive your work in me. Lord, revive your work because we look, if you look at this work that he's talking, what's the work that he's talking about here in, 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 in this book, Habakkuk? It could be revive, revive the work that you started in Israel to represent you to a lost world. Or it could be referring to the kings. Revive the, the role of, of the sovereignty of the kings that they might lead the people to you as they're supposed to. It could be, Lord, revive the work in my own life because I was full of doubt and full of, uh, full of just negativity and, and full of those things that were anti you because I couldn't see your bigger picture. Maybe that could have been it. Maybe it could have been all three. But the reality is I know each one of us at some stage in our Christian lives, we need to, like Habakkuk, cry out. And cry out as what he says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. True revival comes from God. True revival is grounded in his word. True revival comes from his spirit. And this is where you and I need to be courageous enough, need to be bold enough to admit where we ourselves have fallen short and seen the greatness of God. You look in your lives and you, there might be you know, a work that has been done in us, a work that is in need of reviving. There might be a reviving of our vision of heaven or having a heavenly focus. It might be the need of a revival in our mind that's in, in need of divine renewal. A revival of our hearts in need of reigniting or be reignited by the Holy Spirit. It could be a revival of the work of God that Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 29, was to believe on him whom God had sent. It might be a revival of, of living by faith. It might be a revival of living by faith through grace, as it talks about in Ephesians 2, 8 and 19. It might be a revival of that work, as I, I've quoted for the last several weeks, Philippians 1, 6, that work that he began in us, that he might continue and bring to completion. It might be a revival of that work. All I know for sure is this, whatever that is in need of reviving in your lives, it has to come from God. And to ask God, Lord, revive my soul. Lord, revive my passion. Lord, revive my excitement. Lord, re revive my love for you. Revive my priorities. Lord, revive my, my desire to live as unto you and, and not as unto men. That starts with us crying out. And the thing is this, when we do cry out, 
God in his grace will answer. And when he does, how will you respond? Because this is where we need to look at to how we, I guess you say, take stock in our own lives and in our own hearts. Because I look at this coming year of 2021, and I don't know what's going to happen. But what I do know is that I want to see a revival of people's hearts toward God. I want to see a revival of people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to see a revival where people will actually interact with him relationally, not religiously. That would serve willingly, not out of obligation. That would, that would live wholly, not out of duty. That would live in a, a life of righteousness because God sees them and no one else. That is what I want to see a revival of. I want to see a revival of the relationship Jesus Christ truly desires from us, truly intended. That's what I, I want to see a revival in my life with Jesus Christ. That intimacy, that when I, I speak and I talk to him, that I hear his voice, that I'm sensitive to his spirit, that when he says, Joe, don't, I say, I won't, Lord. That when he says, Joe, go, I say, okay, Lord. That's what I'm desirous of. But I do know this. It comes on his terms because he's the one that's doing the reviving. He's the one that is reigniting me to live in accordance with his desires, not my own. You see, like with Habakkuk, the themes for our reviving remain the same. That in our current state of frustration or spiritual weariness or disappointment, if, if that's where we find ourselves for whatever reason, the same lessons of Habakkuk can apply and influence our revival personally as well. That our reviving comes from God's voice. That our humility grows in that, or well, that reviving grows, shall I say, reviving comes from humility, and that, that it starts with him. Because in that it comes to our reviving, which results in our renewal and our refreshing and our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I know we're all sort of spaced away, and I know at home, I don't know, you'll be sitting there, but what I want us to do now is I actually want to pray and spend the last couple of minutes just praying. Pray personally, just pray personally, and ask God to reveal to you. Well, ask God to revive you. Ask God to, to His Spirit to convict you if there is sin in your life that you're holding on to that you know you shouldn't. Ask God to, to show to you if there are broken relationships that are, that are affecting your relationships with other people. Ask God to revive your souls and be courageous enough to say, Lord, whatever it takes. I want you to do that. So I'm going to take maybe just a few moments of silence and I want you to pray individually and ask God where and how you can be revived within your heart. And then I will close in prayer after that, if that's okay. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, in the quietness of this moment, there are souls, including my own, that are crying out to you, even now. We are people that have been so consumed with our own lives, with our own circumstances, with our own situations. And we, Father, have been so consumed with such things that it has distracted or taken our eyes from the intimacy and, and the depth of relationship that you have invited us to. We recognize and acknowledge that we are in need of reviving, that your church is in need of revival. And that revival can only come from you. So we cry out to you now and ask that you will revive our souls, that you will revive our hearts, that you will revive our focus, that you will revive our revision, that you will give unto us hearts that long after and follow your heart, that we will seek to live lives that are pleasing in your sight that we will have our, our minds directed on things above and not on things of this earth. Father, it is easy to be caught up in emotionalism, but Lord, I pray that you will speak to each heart here and at home, even now, that you will speak to them in such a real way of, of what you require from us as your children. We need you to do this. We are incapable of our own humanness to do anything that would be so great and grand in your sight. We need you to take us, the, 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 the earthen vessels that have a great treasure inside, we ask you to take us, to mold us, to shape us, to breathe life into us, to revive our souls so we can truly be a body, the body of believers that is pleasing in your sight and shines the light in a dark, dark world. So we commit ourselves to you now, Lord. Please hear our prayer. Please have your will be done in each of our lives. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works in us. Unto you be glory in the church, both now and forever, even to the end of the age. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you very much for that, brothers and sisters. Thank you very much for everybody at home. I pray that you have been encouraged, challenged, exhorted in some way, and we might continue to, to travel on this road to revival as we look at this coming year of 2021. God bless. Take care. See you guys next week. See you later.